Teach each other. Okay. <laughs> so we've been doing this, this uh, study on Ephesians, and um, we're, we're now sort of at the end. We're, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. But before we start, why doesn't, who would like to have a prayer to start out with prayer? Evan, you want to pray for us? Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for this day and just the opportunity for all of us just to be together and to um, just focus on your word, Father God. I pray that just our brains can all be sponges, Father, and, and that we can just really, that you can just pick out what needs, what all of us individually need to hear, Father God, and that we can Amen. just take it to heart, Father, and just continue to grow as individuals, as, as the kingdom, Father God, and most importantly, with your love as the centerpiece, Father, and I pray that we can really learn from all this and, and be with Fred as he preaches, Father. Amen. 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 So we're going to start like, like we always have, just by reading this passage. And if someone would like to read, starting in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 21, down through 6, verse 9. Okay. 5. 529 to 6. 6-9. 6-9. <clears throat> right. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their, as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one in flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God for your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are, in, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, we're going to just sort of... Uh there's sort of two big topics tonight in Ephesians chapter 5 and, and 6 that we're going to talk about. And this first one is this issue of submission. Now, this is a, a tricky issue, but let's just be open about it. What is submission? What, just what is it? Not, not necessarily biblically, but just as a concept. 
I think it's you. Um, I'm losing the vocabulary, but it's you giving up your will to do something in favor of another person or party's will. Okay. Complete devotion. It's what? Complete devotion. It certainly includes that. Other thoughts about what submission is? Giving up the choice to do something. Yeah, it's a choice, right? It's not, it's, submission is not a, uh, something where you're being forced to do something, right? Now there may be submission involved when you're being forced to do something. And that's a choice that we have. What, um, why, why is submission important? Just in general, not necessarily in the context of the church, but you know, we all submit. I mean, all of us who have jobs, we submit to our boss, right? If we get stopped on the highway for, for whatever infraction that is levied against us, we submit to, to the police, right? It's not a good idea not to submit to the police in that situation. Um, we, submit to, we submit to all kinds of things in our lives. Um, so why do we do that? What benefit is it to do that? Um, keeps order and peace. Yes, it keeps order and peace. Other reasons? Shows respect. It's a matter of respect. You know? I mean, think about it. Connor. In the cop one, I don't want to get punished or thrown in jail. Right. I mean, we, we submit sometimes because we know the consequences of not submitting, right? Yeah. Um, and we, we, we go, this is a, it's better to just play the game right here and let this happen. And what are the benefits? So what are the benefits of doing that? What are the benefits of submitting? Well, we can get materials from it. Okay. Like the work example, you get uh, wages or payment for okay. submitting to your job. Sure. You get to keep your job. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, in that same vein, I'd say if you submit to your company and the leadership and the direction that your company's heading, mm -hmm. that could lead to promotions, that could lead to more job skills, that could lead sure. to, you know, um, a, a better career. Right. Yeah, I mean, I like to share with people. I made a career out of being submissive to, to, to the leadership. I watched people in my company who struggled with submitting. They would grumble and they'd complain and they'd talk at the water cooler about their boss and how much they hated what they were doing. And they were only there because they were getting paid. And then you know, after a year or so, they would leave and they'd go chase some other job. And, and I just found, uh, you know, I was a fairly high, highly paid <coughs> individual where I was working. And... Uh, you know, they would come and tell me to do stuff that should have been being done by somebody who had been there a year, not 30 years, right? And I would say to them, I said, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it because you said so. But the truth of the matter is that this isn't really good for the company, right? <laughs> you can pay someone a lot less than me, but if you say so, that's what, if you want me to spend the day on paper, I'll do it. And you know, people really appreciate that because... Imagine how many times people are dealing with people who aren't submissive, who don't have a submissive spirit, even in simple things. Um, 
What's the difference between submission and obedience? I think you can obey without the relationship that comes with submission. Uh-huh. If I'm submitting to something, I think I can create something kind of symbiotic and we can have a relationship, but you can obey blindly and without knowledge. Slaves mm-hmm. obey, but they okay. may not necessarily submit to everything that their owner has to say, but slaves will still obey. Okay. Maybe at the crack of a whip, it could be other stuff, but that that's kind of what I'm like seeing in my head is... That can be obedience, but it's not necessarily submission. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, I know in teaching the Bible over the years, Romans 13, he says, everyone must submit to himself to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which is of God is established. The authorities exist, have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against God. And I've heard this verse taught, everybody has to obey the authorities. And then the next thing is, I ain't going to obey. If they tell me to do this, I'm just not going to obey them. And I think it's a fundamental confusion people have between the idea of being obedient and being submissive. I mean, you remember in Acts chapter 4 where uh, the apostles get hauled in and they get said, you know, what are you doing teaching in this name? And they basically said um, they were completely submissive to the authorities. They didn't try to run away. They didn't pull out the guns and start shooting the Pharisees, right, to get away from them or whatever they did in those days, right? What they did was they complete. they said, you can do anything you want to us, but we're going to be obedient. We obey God, but we'll submit to you, right? And that's a really, that's an important distinction that I think needs to be made because if we don't understand that distinction, if in our mind we haven't delineated the difference between obedience and submission, then when people start talking about submission, we can get really offended, and yeah. we also get and we can also get hurt, right? And we can we can tend to to say because I think this involves you know this distinction is very very important in the church. Okay, in other words, it's very very important in our civil society, right? Um, and there are. Um, you know, you heard the term civil disobedience, right? Mm-hmm. You can be a civil, civil diso- you can participate in civil disobedience and be completely submissive. Okay, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk a little bit about my generation. I was actually, I'm old enough to have been wrapped up in the draft of the, of the to be drafted into the army for the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. okay? And there was a lot of people who were fleeing uh, the United States, and were rebelling against the authorities, right? I mean, <coughs> having riots and so forth because they didn't want to be submissive. They didn't, they didn't want to obey. They felt they had to obey. But the interesting thing is our country gives us the opportunity. Is there's an opportunity to be submissive to the authorities and not be in the army? Yeah. Right? And you, can, you can go be a conscientious objector and and you can, you can say, look, you can do anything you want. I said, I'm not going to carry a gun for you. And they say, well, we'll throw you in jail. And he said, you can throw me in jail. I'll submit to that. I'm not going to rebel against you, but I will not carry a gun if that was your persuasion. Mm-hmm. 
So I think this is very important because it, 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 really, it really begins to take shape here, this distinction, when we get into verse 21 of chapter 5 where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why is it reverence for Christ that we, that we so he's talking now, he's talking to disciples here, right? We're outside the realm of your boss and the police and so forth. We're talking about just in this fellowship. What does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? How do, what, is it, what are we honoring in Christ? Um, I think we honor consider others better than yourself. Okay. Yes? Yeah, I think like if me and my roommates, if one of the roommates introduces a new rule that maybe I, I don't agree with, but for their sake, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, it's respecting them, it's like you said, like almost giving them the honored spot and not being the one to rebel against and say, this is a terrible idea, this sucks, I'm not going to do it. Sure, and that's related to, to what Ken just said, of course. Yep. Consider, when, we, when we consider one another better than ourselves, when there's a conflict, we just say, look, what, what is, why are we in conflict? I'll do whatever you want, I'll do it, okay? Whatever's needed here, right? Um, but how is, it, how is it showing reverence for Christ? Is it because Christ submitted for our sake? Like he didn't rebel against the authorities yeah. when he put him on the cross? Yeah. I mean, can you think of a single time that Jesus didn't submit? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times he walked away, right? He, he got in a tough spot and he, he just walked out of it and said, I don't want anything to do with this. And he didn't, he stayed out of places where he knew there was trouble. We have that option, right? But when he got in trouble, what did he do? Submitted. He completely submitted. He put up his defense. They said, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, yeah, right, you're right. They tear their clothes. They say, we're going to crucify you. And he goes, oh, do whatever you want, right? You do whatever you want. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be what you are, right? And we, we have that submission. <coughs> submission does not require us to compromise our, our devotion. Or In fact, this passage says that our submission to one another in our fellowship is direct related to our perception, our relationship, our perception of Christ, right, and the way he lived. So what's interesting in, in here, and in, in other parts of the Bible this is true also, is there is a different quality. There are, there are certain, what Paul is setting up here is a, he says submit to one another. That's the general arch, overarching rule, right? But the quality of submission between, in the marriage relationship, is not symmetric, right? The quality of submission to one another as a parent and a child is not symmetric. The quality of submission between a slave and a master is not symmetric. But both, but he's calling for submission in both. So, for instance, in the, you know, if we've, we've all heard these passages, right, about wives submit to your husband to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. This isn't the only place Paul talks about this. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 11. He talks about the headship there. Um, But what is the difference between the submission 
of a man to his wife or a wife to her husband, a woman to her husband. What is he trying to get at here? It's not a very popular topic these days, by the way. <clears throat> but it's still in the Bible, and we, you know, we have to yeah. talk about what it, what it is. Yeah. What is it? Well, I guess when I think about it, like obviously, you know, like me submitting to Sebastian is, you know, like he has the last saying, you know, he has the last word. If he thinks something is the right thing after we talk about it, like, okay, like if that's what you think is right, you know, like being able to follow him and his leadership of our family. And then when I think vice versa, like his submission to me is almost like a, like, loving and respecting me and looking out for my best interest, you mm -hmm. know, in a sense, versus, like, obeying, quote-unquote, me, but more of the, he submits himself to me in the sense of, yeah, like, watching over me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think is a real, I love this passage where he says, um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy and cleansing by washing her with water through the, through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And I just have this image of, you know, God on, on judgment day and he's kind of going through my life and he's going, okay, show me your wife. You know, the measure of a man and how he submits to his wife is the quality of the wife's of the, his wife's life, right? My job submitting to Ellen is to present her, to the, at the judgment say, to present God, to present my wife to God as holy and blameless because of the way I treated her. That's a pretty incredible thing. Um, so the submission, submission to, um, to that kind of thing takes an incredible submission to God first of all, because I can't be, I can't live out verses 20 through, um, 25 through 27 or whatever, is 31, um, unless I'm submissive to God. And so, and then, and yet at the same time, I think Yahira's point is good, is that, is that in the end, God, for whatever reason, and I have no idea, I have some, theories about this based on some of the reading I've done. But he's, he's told the men to, to, to stand up and be men, right? To lead. But lead in such a way that your wife is radiant. And that takes, that takes my convinced the submission there is that if you're not submission to, if you're not in submission to Christ, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 11 where he says, you know, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man. And um, so I've seen, you know, most of the time I've seen in relationships where there's a struggle, it's usually because the man is not fully submitted to Christ in a healthy way. And you know, um, it's, it's funny. We, I will submit to someone who I know is submissive to someone else. Whenever I know there's a higher authority, no matter how far up the chain it goes. 
you know, it's much easier to submit to a policeman who you know is playing by the rules because he's submitting to his commanding officer, right? But it's the, it's the, the mavericks who are out there doing their own thing, and you go, I don't, it's crazy, I'm not going to submit to you. That's yeah. the temptation, right? So the, the husband, and, that interesting relationship of the husband and wife is, is uh, it brings, someone said it brings peace, it brings the harmony, and, and I think what's really important is, almost more than anything else, is that men, um, how many of you guys, have, have you ever heard of a writer called F. Lagarde Smith? Anybody here familiar with F. Lagarde Smith? He's written a bunch of really, really provocative books about Christian thinking. He's a Church of Christ scholar of sorts, and he wrote a book about um, men's and women's relationships, basically. And he sort of poses the idea that men, that women are naturally more spiritual than men. <laughs> and the reason God put men in charge is because if he didn't, they'd be total derelicts. And he goes through the scripture, he makes a pretty, pretty convincing argument. That, and, and this is where, as men, I really have to work at my submission to Christ in order to lead my wife well. For her to feel safe, she'll only feel safe with me if she knows that I'm being submissive to Christ, right? So this submission thing goes all the way around the barn. I mean, yes. everything goes around the barn. <clears throat> so then he, uh, and this worthy of more discussion here about that, but... So what's the, the, the second unique relationship he talks about here is children and parents, right? Children, actually children and fathers. Uh, he talks about <coughs> your parents, but he, he's, he goes more, he puts more responsibility on the father, right? Which is also interesting. But what's the relationship of children to father? What's the submissive relationship there? Yeah, we see obey. We see obedience. The word there is obey. It's interesting. So he's talking about submitting to one another, but when it comes to a parent and child relationship, he's basically saying, children, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. But then look what he says to the fathers. Don't exasperate. Okay. Don't exasperate your children. What does that mean? <coughs> like, how does that work? Don't beat, it, don't beat the dead horse. Don't continue <laughs> going. Or don't be over the top. Or Yeah. I don't know. Some of you guys aren't parents yet, but you, you will be someday. Some yeah. of you are. I know I was. I had three kids. <laughs> and I had to work at not exasperating my kids. Why, why do you think that's so challenging for, an, for a, a father to not exasperate his children? Can someone define exacerbate for me? Exasperate? Exasperate, yeah. It's kind of provoking. Um, yeah, it's like... Frustrate. Frustrate. Yeah. 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 Frustrate. It's like common language. I'm like, I don't know if I can define that word on its own. So yeah. <laughs> Something... I've heard from fathers in the church is that they put they can fall into a trap of putting too excessive of an expectation on their children yeah. 
and that frustrates the child because they feel like they have to earn mm-hmm. the love of the, the father. So that's what I've heard <coughs> from some fathers in the church that they how they grew as parents in their yeah. in their parenting. You know, the, the, the relationship of a, of a father to a son or a father to a daughter, and you know, it's interesting that he doesn't address the women in this one because I think women are much more sensitive to their children. <laughs> it certainly is true with my wife. She's a lot more like, come on, you're being hard on them. You're, you're going to frustrate them. You're going to exasperate them. Um, and, and so I think we have to work at it. But... I think, you know what, in my own relationship with my children, what changed me the most is when I started really praying a lot, spending time in prayer and submitting to Christ completely. My children became a lot more submissive to me. Now, submission in this relationship, submission in this relationship means obedience, mm-hmm. right? But I know I can call my children to obey in a way that is um, exasperates them, it frustrates them, it makes it impossible for them. It, it's burdensome. But it's two-sided, right? So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. You know, how many children, if they would simply be obedient to their parents, their life would go a lot better. <laughs> it's true. Why is everyone looking It's true. It's not all that. Hey, we are all children. Um, but at the same time, I mean, these things have to work together, right? Yeah. So that that Paul is saying here is that in submission, in this submissive role, this co-submission, submitting to one another, it works if the children obey and the parents really work hard at not exasperating, at not being overbearing, at not being too hard, not being, not frustrating their children with expectations. Uh, you know, in schools, I know they talk about age-appropriate, is this age-appropriate um, thinking right or whatever it is that certain kids at certain ages aren't capable of certain things and that you know I um, Judah Lyann uh, and Jesse um, I have Judah one day a week now we're in grandpa school <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what is a five year old capable of right well Quite a bit, actually. Um, but I'm trying to figure out, you know, like what can he understand, and what you know, what's age appropriate yeah. to 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 be able to, to teach Judah simple things like how to cut count money. I had a really funny story last last Monday. We spent about an hour working on dollars, dimes, and pennies, right? So if you go to the counter and you want to buy a donut, which is what the goal was, and you ask the guy how much does it cost, he says a dollar. 68. And so what do you do? You give him one dollar, six dimes, eight pennies. It was really fun. So we got it all worked out. He, he was getting it. Wow. And we go to Dunkin' Donuts, right? <laughs> and uh, we, he gets up on the counter because he's not tall enough to even see over the counter. So I put him up with his knees on the counter. He asks the guy for a donut. He asks how much the guy costs. And the guy says, ah, for you it's free. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, 
like, no, 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 no charge him. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point of this. Charge him. <laughs> he needs to pay. <laughs> so this is a very important relationship. But it is a submissive relationship in two directions, but the kind of submission is different, right? I'm submitting to Judah's needs so that he doesn't get frustrated. He's submitting by being obedient. When I tell him not to stand up on the back of the couch and bang on the front window, <laughs> I, that's what I mean. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. How about slaves and masters? Now, this is a, another touchy one, but yeah. what is Paul saying here? What's the submission role? Now, let's, let's just say slavery in the Roman Empire was not, to a large extent, what it was in the American, you know, the 1800s in America. But what is Paul saying about the slave-master relationship? Sincere obedience. Yeah. But what's the attitude of the obedience, right? Yeah, um, Paul equates, this is crazy, their, their slavery to their masters with their slavery to Christ. So in the same way that you would, you know, follow Christ's decree, if he said something, you'd believe it, you would do it, you would aim, that's your new standard. Yeah. Obey <clears throat> your master on earth just the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, this is another relationship where if we if the if the biblical standard had really been is really held up, it almost becomes not a slave master relationship anymore. Almost. I mean, you know, the story of uh, Philemon, right? Where Paul sends he sends um Philemon back to, to his master and basically says Philemon was a slave who had escaped comes a Christian, he goes back, and he admonishes, um, well, not Philemon, I'm getting mixed up here, but basically the, 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 the relationship was admonished to be one of mutual respect in Christ, even though he was still a slave. And, of course, today, slavery, at least in the United States and most of the Western world, is outlawed. It is outlawed mostly around the world, but you know, there are more, technically, there are more slaves today than there ever have been in the history of the world, in our world. And uh, some of it's terrible, it's awful, because none of it's like what he's talking about here. There's no co-submission, yeah. right? And I, um, I've had several arguments with people about this, saying, well, this doesn't apply to us today. It does. It does apply. If this situation existed today, it would most certainly apply. Yeah. Because it's an issue, it's an example of the co-submission that God expects in our hearts. Any other thoughts about this topic? Because this is challenging. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have like two questions. Yeah. I guess the first question is, because I've run into this situation a lot, due to my race, is yeah. like, why are you a Christian if in the 1800s, slave owners used these scriptures to justify slavery in the United States? Yeah. And then I would bring up how it was that's different than what happened in the Roman Empire. Yeah. But the fact is that the slave owners in the U.S. still use these scriptures to justify 
they use them incorrectly to justify yeah. their actions. So what do you do in that situation or in that type of conversation with someone? I, well, I mean, I think your point is exactly right. They were, these scriptures were misused. It's the same thing that people misuse scripture a lot in a lot of things. Um, I think that this does not I don't believe these scriptures would allow you to to initiate a slave relationship yeah mm -hmm. but Paul was was dealing with a with a society where slavery what did exist mm -hmm. and he was trying to talk to he was trying to address the issue of masters the way you need to treat if you have slaves how you treat them but not authorizing people to start a slave relationship I don't think that's ever been God's intent. Yeah, I've never seen... I can't think of a scripture where Paul even says anything like that. So. Right. Yeah, so... But I guess it's like, yeah, I guess my other comment is I feel like it is a stumbling block for some people, like this passage, and, and I didn't know if you had any added commentary on that, or particularly those who are black. Like they, they come to this scripture, and it's like a... It's difficult for them to overcome if they're trying to pursue like a relationship yeah, with God. I mean, I think that the scriptures have been used to to authorize war. <coughs> yeah. And I don't think that's God's intent at all. Um, it's been these this, the scriptures about women submitting to men have been used to abuse women yeah. and abuse the culture. Um, almost everything that you, we have can be twisted to be bad. Yeah, I mean, you get a bow and arrow so you can hunt the deer, and next thing you know, you're shooting each other. You make a gun so that you can you can hunt the deer more effectively, and then you end up shooting each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh. so, um, this is a problem. Um, none of it's authorized by scripture, really. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I wonder, well, at least for me, when I. I don't know if it, that was his intent, but the way that I always perceived it, it was almost like a, like an example of how far that higher calling of submission goes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like I think about like even like my relationship with my dad growing up was not you know an easy one, and but I was still called to submit mm -hmm. to respect, um, even when I knew he was wrong. You know, in his parenting, I still yeah. was called that higher calling. You know, just like if we're at work and our bosses are jerks, we're still called to submit to our jobs to mm -hmm. him. Um, so I always wonder, reading throughout that, like if just that's the extent of that calling. You know, that it's no matter the who or the what, but right. to submit, like we submit to Christ. Yeah, I mean we're submit we're to submit to the, the leadership in the church, and Paul. Paul basically says the reason for doing that is, so that you become a joy to them, right? And me submitting, and I, you know, I've been around for forty years in the church. I've had to submit to a lot of situations that I didn't think were correct, but um, rebellion is very distasteful. I mean, you look at when when God talks about rebellion, he he 
talks about rebellion is this is like the sin of divination. It's putting your place yourself in the place of God, right? And submission is like being like Christ. And and that's all the difference. And you know, Jesus submitted to all kinds of crazy stuff that happened to him. And he didn't retaliate, even when he had the means to do it. So these are all worth thinking about very much in the heart of Ephesians where he's talking about these things. But let's let's go on to the next, um, this last sort of section. Someone read verses, um, chapter 6, verses 10 down through 20. Anybody want to read that? I got you. Okay, Connor. <clears throat> Ephesians 10, 6, 10 through 20. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Mm -hmm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then with your belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which is, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayer requests, prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Okay. So here he's, he's sort of wrapping up the book. You know, he's talked about all these different things that we've talked about. But he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So here's the question. Who are we fighting? Devil. Yeah. We're fighting, well, he describes, what does he say here? What are the things that he says we're fighting against? The devil's schemes. Powers of this dark world. Spiritual forces of evil. Yeah. Against the powers of the dark world, against the rulers, against the authorities. Now, interestingly, he's just told us basically to submit to the authorities, and yet we're at war with them. Right? So, what is he talking about? Who is it that we're fighting? Are we fighting each other? Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a situation like you feel like you're fighting against people in the church? I have been. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here? You're like, we're, you know, why are we fighting about this? We got, we got a war going on out there that we got to fight against. But what are these? You know, it's interesting. Steve sent Mark, and then Mark sent to me a bunch of quotes out of some book that Steve was reading where he. He was making the argument that in the Roman mind, in the Roman world, when the Christians talked about these um, 
the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that he was talking about things like the social order of the day that was basically <coughs> impinging on Christian values, right? Mm -hmm. um, the culture, it was a culture war, basically, is the authorities, the... the, the the way corporations in the Roman Empire, the way the business was run, the Christians were fighting against that, right? Because it was cutthroat. It was, you know, merchants stealing from each other and so forth. It was against the authorities like the Roman government that was torturing people and, and, and claiming that Caesar was God, right? It wasn't... We, we tend to today think of these sort of the... The heavens are filled with these sort of floating, disembodied spirits that that um, that we're we're at war with the heavenly realms, right? Whereas in the in the Roman times, when the early Christians, when they read this, they were thinking about the Roman Empire. They were thinking about their bosses. They were thinking about um, the merchants, and they were thinking about the cultural influences that were that were counter to what the church was was calling Christians to live by, what God was calling us to live by. And, you know, sometimes I think, and yet at the same time, he's telling us to be submissive to it. So how does that relate to, I mean, what Jesus was doing? Maybe like how Jesus was submissive to the world that crucified him, mm -hmm. and submissive to the Father, and then through that, the Father gave him victory yeah. over death itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was kind of simultaneously fighting that power through a you know a, a submissive, passive sort of submissive thing. Right. It wasn't passive, but you know, being obedient, and then, but he did ultimately get a victory over it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about what was going on at that time and when the Rome, when the Christians really started being persecuted not by just the Jews where it started with the persecution the Jews persecuting them because the Jews didn't like the conviction they were bringing about Christ and who Christ was right who Jesus was but when Rome started persecuting the Christians I mean the Christians didn't they they hid if they could right mm -hmm. they would hide out if they could but they didn't they didn't lift a sword against Rome. They didn't organize and fight against... The, and Rome was wrong. I mean, what Rome was doing, I mean, throwing people to lions and burning people on crosses and uh, crucifying, crucifying people. Um, you know, you've seen the movies, right? Spartacus. I am Spartacus. <laughs> but they submitted to this out of reverence for Christ. And... And yet they were at war. And the Roman Empire knew they were at war with these people. But the kind of war was totally different. It was not a confrontational war. It was a war of ideology. Yep. And the Romans couldn't stand the fact that there were people who could, who could not believe like they did and would put up with what the Romans would make them put up with um, and die living out these convictions with no retaliation. Mm -hmm. And what was the result of that? Christianity grew. Christianity spread like crazy. Yeah. 
they estimate at, um, that it's at one point that before, before Constantine in the 300, that it was about 10% Christianity represented about 10% of the Roman Empire. It was having an enormous effect on every aspect of, of Roman culture was being affected by the presence of these Christians that everybody, that so many people hated. But it was because of submission. It was the submission of, and so that it's not surprising that where Paul talks about submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that he talks about these aspects of submission, that the very next thing is, is that we're at war, and yet we're submiss, we're, we're, it's a war of submission, Yeah. right? Obedience to God, and submission to whatever the world levies against us as a result of being obedient to God. Why is it? Why do you think it's so difficult for us to sort of make that distinction today? I think we have a problem making that distinction today in the United States. Is it because? We fall into the same trap people did back in the first century. Like, like I think in Mark, I forget which chapter, but early in Mark, the book of Mark, they try to like crown Jesus like as king, and Jesus like rejected that crowd of people. Right, and left, and I feel like we're trying to do the same thing. Like we're trying to put Jesus in that context to to fight instead of. What Jesus actually did, which was submit, it's like we gotta fight the world in a very yeah. know, conventional sense. I, I mean, I think we have a very big challenge because we tend to think of America as a, a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And because because it was founded on Christian principles and for a long time was driven, you know, our legal system, all kinds of things, the whole idea of justice and fairness and so forth, a lot of it was very biblical. But the, the result is, is that we lose the distinctiveness of who we are when things start to change. And it's changing. The, the United States is getting more and more secular and less and less tolerant of Christian thinking. And the result is we're, we are at war where we weren't at war 40 years ago over certain issues, right? And, um, and so that's, that's hard to get adjust to, right? But we are, we are at war, with, um, and we have to see ourselves in that way, and yet be completely submissive, submissive to our enemy. Yeah. I mean, this is echoed in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Mm-hmm. Someone comes up and slaps you on the right cheek, let him have the other one also. If he needs your cloak, give him your coat as well. You know, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, we 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 are in a we are in a spiritual war against a very very present um, evil powers that are are influencing our society. Um, do Do you feel like um? Because sometimes I get a bit frustrated. It's like, man, like <clears throat> with this whole dynamic change. It's like like I'm the weirdo. Because I know a lot of disciples that gone to Europe, and they they go in expecting that per- perception by others, like you're a weirdo. But certain parts of the United States, it's like you know you, you're not perceived that way. 
but now kind of like what you said it's starting to shift and it's like some christians kind of react like you know kind of like what i was saying before like we have to you know reclaim some kind of physical control whether through government or through businesses or through advertising because like when i watch old tv shows it was like there are a lot of like values and right. things that you weren't depicted but now it's like that control is lost and it's like some Christians are like having a a fit about that you know about yeah. we don't have this type of influence that we used to have but it seems like that's not the way to approach it like we shouldn't approach it that way but I don't know if them looking at things the wrong way or yeah I I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to all these things, but I, I do think we, we have a culture that's shifting out from underneath us. We don't have to participate in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we you don't have to worry about to. that. Um, I don't need to control the television station. I don't need to control the, um, the shows that are on, hoping that nobody will see these things. Who, people who don't care, right? But I don't have to participate in it if I don't want to. I can be I can be obedient to Christ and submissive and and still and live a pure life without having this control. I mean it's a little bit off topic. But I think it's really interesting that our war, the battle that we're waging is one where the battle's gonna be won by by submission. Mm-hmm. I mean I think that's not an accident that these are all lined up here. And um and of course, in the end, we put on the different armor of God. There's been lots of books you can find, whole books on the armor of God, right? But in the end, I, I think it's a pretty simple thing here. He's saying, arm yourself with the tools, the sword, the spirit of God. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. Most people have no idea. We don't ever talk about that. We do have the word of God, right? We have faith. We have the shield of faith we can put on. We can, we can put all these things in order and protect our lives against these spiritual forces that want to take us down. And we don't need to uh, <coughs> be submissive while we're doing that. Yeah. We can be completely submissive while we're doing that without being disobedient. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I would just say that I think part of the challenge, <coughs> uh, just from my perspective, and it's probably a maturity issue, but when I think of war, I think of violence. And I think some of that is just the movies I've seen, yeah. the history I've read about war. Right. You know, there hasn't been a war that I've read about where there wasn't violence. And so... That's just that's just what I automatically think of, and obviously, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just, and and culturally speaking, you know, I talking about this shift in this trend, how like we as a nation are getting less religious. Yeah. And a lot of religious people like having the control of saying like, well, I have the right to believe what I want to believe and you can't make me believe anything. Like, well, that's not, that's not going to win anybody. You know, like that's not, that's not being submissive. That's not, but when 
I think as a whole, the I think the standard American Christian, when they think of war, they think of violence. And it's just yeah. not... But, you know, it's interesting, these, um, these various common elements <coughs> of the Christian armor, right? The only offensive weapon is the sword. Mm-hmm. You know, the helmet, the breastplate, the, 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 your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel, I mean, and the, the, the shield of faith, they're all defensive, right? They're, okay, come after me, whack at me, high, chip at me, but I got my helmet on, I got my shield. I got my breastplate on. And the only way I'm going to come back at you is <laughs> with the word of God. It's yeah. the only offensive weapon that a Christian's allowed to have. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. And when we stick with the word, we'll change the world. We will transform the world. And I, I mean, passing laws was really interesting. I, I, I volunteer at the, um, the food pantry down from the street from my house. And, there's a woman there. It's a very, very good group of people, very devoted uh, fellowship in the Christian church there. And one of the women is going to Gordon-Conwell and getting her, her master's degree in biblical counseling or something. So I, I, every time I see her, I say, what are you studying now? And so she's taking a class on Christian ethics. And I said, I want to know in your Christian ethics class, what is the current theology that would allow someone to go in and make laws that say everybody in the world has to be like I want them to be. You know? Mm-hmm. She said, that's a really good question. I said, I think I'd like to hear what you're, what, what they're teaching at the theology schools about this because we don't, we see a lot of, um, a lot of that stuff. So anyways, I'm sure this, thanks for the comments. I think that, um, Let's take the word of God. Let's make this our sword. And that's it. Other than that, we submit. Challenging. Simple, right? (laughs) It's it's very simple. Thanks, Fred. Thank you, Fred. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Fred.